Well, tonight, I don't want to, I don't want to try to get in uh, over my head. <laughs> At the same time, I don't want to leave you shaking your head trying to say, what is the preacher trying to talk about? But everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the things that are revealed in the New Testament. And tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to deal a little bit with a subject that in my ministry, I don't think that I've ever really heard it talked about much. Would you agree with me that after you come to know the Lord as your Savior, through time, it doesn't always happen instantly, but through time, you don't know the whole Bible when you get saved. And day by day, as you lean on the Lord, and even it takes time to be able to read his word and get through his word, but you'll suddenly be touched by the Holy Spirit about something. And it's like the Spirit is saying almost with an audible voice, don't you do that. Now, you've been saved and, and you're not any less saved, but what that is, is the Lord leading you and teaching you by the Spirit. And then later on, you get in the Word of God and you find out, now I know why, because the Bible says I shouldn't do that. It was sin, but you didn't know it was sin. Or sometimes you go along and you hear a message preached and you think, that just doesn't sit right with me. I, I, think, I think I probably better uh, just try to soak that in a little bit because I don't see anything wrong with that. But then the farther you go, the more you start to think about what was said and the scriptures that were shared and, and you realize I was doing wrong and didn't know that I was doing wrong. See, God covers it all. We don't, we don't know everything from the moment we get saved. And by the way, you don't know everything when you die. This is a journey. But God, in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, God gave Israel five different offerings. There was the peace offering. There was the meat offering, which is also called the meal offering. There was the burnt offering. There was the trespass offering and there was the sin offering. In chapter four and chapter five, he deals with the sin offering. Now out of those five, which five is the number of, of grace in, in the Bible, out of those five, three of those five dealt with atonement, coming back at one with God. Sin had separated and with that offering, you're back at one with God. It's a means of finding that, that fulfillment of fellowship and being in fellowship with God. It can be a little confusing because since all five deal with fire, we think that they're burnt offerings, but the burnt offering was actually different in the sense that it was made as an atonement for sins that you knew about. You knew all along and you, you transgressed against the law and transgression of the law is sin is what First John teaches us. So really you knew it and you come with that sin before God and that offering is given, it's given 
twice a day there in the temple. It can be given at the command of the giver at any time they feel like they need it. And then the trespass offering was different because even though it's an atonement offering, it dealt with sins about the holy things, the sin of things in the tabernacle, later in the temple as well. And they would, they would accidentally not be purified the proper way. Or maybe they would come in to the temple or to the to the tabernacle in the first case as this law was applied and they hadn't found cleansing of that particular thing and they had desecrated the holy things of God or there could be a Gentile group that comes in, overthrows and touches the things that were anointed and set apart for God's use and makes them unholy or they're desecrated and that's what that, that's what that trespass offering was for. But the sin offering in chapter four and chapter five is totally different. And right in the very first verse or two, we find the difference, in particular in verse two. I hope you have your Bibles because we're gonna look at our Bibles a little bit tonight. For time's sake, I hope that you will also read these entire chapters after that this message is preached to give you a better understanding of what I'm saying because some things I'm gonna have to touch on quickly, but you'll be able to go back and find it and say, ah, oh, that's what God was saying in that passage. Well, first of all, he says in verse one, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel. If a soul sin, what's the next two words? Through what? Through what? In other words, you sinned and didn't know that you had sinned. And then it was made aware, aware of you, to you. And, and you're aware of it now and you've got to do something. You didn't mean to do that, but yet it is a transgression against God's law. And then you realize that's sin and I need to do something about it. And that's what he's saying. That's the basis of all this. If a soul sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and shall do against any of them. So he starts off by saying, this offering is unique in that it is for sins that people committed not knowing they were a sin when they committed them. Now, you say, Cal, that, that doesn't make sense. Sins of it. What are you talking about? Well, maybe, maybe if I give you a little illustration, it would help. Let's say that there's a sign up and the government has put a sign up on a piece of property that says no trespassing. Prosecutor, uh, prosecutors are waiting to prosecute you if you trespass. This is illegal. This is a secured area but a blind man steps on that property. He can't read the sign, but it doesn't change the fact. Just because he couldn't read it doesn't mean that it's not the law. So somebody comes along and says, hey, you're on property that you're not allowed to be on. You're trespassing. You need to get off that property. Well, now, even though he was blind, now he knows because someone's told him there's a law there that says you can't go there. Now, should he refuse and stay, he is no longer sinning out of ignorance. Now he is sinning deliberately. 
That's where the passage come in. John tells us that sin is the transgression of the law, but he also tells us that he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. Now he knows that's not right. I was ignorant of it before, not that he was an ignorant individual, it's just that he didn't know that that was sin. Is there anything in your life that you have bettered yourself on since you've been saved, that God has made you aware of through his word, and God says you ought not do that or you should do this. It's a learning process, but yet through that you realize it's there. But now you're saved, you've come to the Lord for salvation. There's one group of people that'll say, well, it don't matter. When you got saved, that covered it all. No, it doesn't. When you become aware of that, then you need to do something about that in the area of finding forgiveness. Not only finding forgiveness, but as a New Testament believer, also finding power not to continue in that sin or doing the wrong thing or not doing what is right to do. Once we know it, we need grace and we need power. So this is all about realizing or coming to a realization that, that I have sinned. Even though I didn't mean to sin, now I know that it is a sin. And the reason that you won't see much of this anymore is because nobody preaches on sin. I'm not saying that I'm wonderful. I'm just saying you can't take sin. You take the word sin, sinneth, and sin in this fourth chapter alone. I think it's like 26 times that it's mentioned. You know why they want to get rid of the Old Testament? Because it is the schoolmaster that shows us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we take the word away, then we can say, oh, I'm in ignorance, but that doesn't change the fact. You're no longer in ignorance in this church because as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to tell each one of us, we've got to come to a place where we have to ask God, Lord, show me, is this right or not right? Is it sin or is it righteousness? Because it is one or the other. I don't, I don't want to move on, but I've got, I've got to show you this. If you want, let, let's go over to Numbers chapter 15. In case you think that I'm out on a limb and just trying to read something into this, something more than what it is, look, look if you will. Numbers chapter 15, let's go down about, uh, let's verse 27. The Bible says, and if any soul sin through what? Through what? Ignorance. Then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. There it is again. The sin offering is covering those sins of ignorance. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through what? Through what? Ignorance. Both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. He's teaching there's two types of sinning. One was done through ignorance 
and one was done presumptuously. What's presumptuously sin? That is the believer that says, I know it's sin, but I don't care. Because God's not gonna let me go through anything. I'll just go ahead and let grace cover it all and go, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid is what the Bible teaches. So it is a deliberate sin. That's what the presumptuous sin is, the sin of ignorance. You didn't realize it, but now you know it, so you've got to do something about it. You'll find in Psalm 19 the same thing written over as well when he starts talking about the secret sin and he that sinneth presumptuously. In other words, there is a difference between someone that deliberately sins and someone that is ignorant of sin. When it is intentional, it is deliberate. And God says that that soul shall be cut off. You're going to deny yourself the blessings of God, the power of God, the help of God. It'll hinder your prayer life. It'll hinder your witness. It'll hinder your spiritual standing with God. There is a difference between the person that innocently, ignorantly has sinned and the person that willfully sins. So I hope that I'm not making it too unclear to you. For example, people that just come into church, they're not used to coming to church. They're not used to coming to church when the church doors are open. So they come when they feel like coming. They're a new convert. They're ignorant. Not ignorant people. They're ignorant of what God wants. But by the time you get in this church for a little while, you're gonna hear things taught like, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And by the way, that'll get worse as we see the day approaching. Fewer and fewer people will be committed to attend the house of God. But yet God said that we're, we're, we're supposed to attend church. I know some people can attend church. I know their sickness. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying once that you're healthy, once that you can come, once that you know, once that you read that, you can't claim ignorance anymore. You might claim laziness, but you can't claim ignorance. You might claim spiritual weakness, but you can't claim ignorance. Because God says, it's his will and his purpose when the doors are open that we assemble ourselves together because we bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. We learn together from reading his word and being taught his word. So we have these sins of ignorance. That's what the sin offering is for. Now, you were ignorant to it, but now you're made aware of it. So what do I do with that? To me, and, and I gotta go over these quick, he categorizes different people that commit sins of ignorance. So you've got to remember things. Touching a leper, if you touch the leper, you're considered unclean before the Lord. But here's the thing. I, I could meet someone today, shake their hand, and they have leprosy and me not know it. But I can find out tomorrow they're a leper. So I've got, to, I've got to come before the Lord for cleansing of that. That's what he's saying. You could come to a place where that you 
didn't think about it, but in, I'm talking in biblical terms, Old Testament terms, if you touched a corpse. You didn't mean to touch a corpse. You awaken in the night, you reach over, God forbid, but your loved one is beside of you, and they have deceased. In Old Testament terms, you're unclean. You've touched a corpse. You didn't mean to. There's no way you could have known they were deceased. Do you understand what I'm saying? But still God says that sin, in other words, God's not like us. We change the rules. Especially when it's us and ours. We have one set of rules for us and another set of rules for everybody else in the kingdom. But when it comes to my, oh, well, my own is excused. There's extenuating circumstances. No, God's word is God's word. Well, I better move on. That didn't go over well. But that's what he's saying. He's saying there's times, though, that you've got to face the reality of it and come clean with it. So he comes down to certain categories. Verse three, the first thing that he says, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people. Let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. Now the sin offering is the key word. Sin offering are for sins of ignorance. So if the priest comes to a place that he realizes, I have sinned, not meaning to sin, and for a priest, again, that could have been, he could have come in contact with somebody that was unclean, he could have become defiled in some way. There's a whole list of laws I don't have time to go into, but he's now defiled. And when he comes with this and he knows about it, he's gotta take care of it. God says, this is what you have to do, you have to take a young bullock, you'll find out when you get down to verse six, they have to take the blood, after the bullock is killed, they have to take the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord at the veil of the sanctuary. Why? Because he's unclean. So everything that he's touched now is unclean. So you've got to sanctify that by the blood. So he puts the blood seven times. Then he goes in verse seven. He puts some of the blood upon the horns of the altar. He's saying it's a picture. The horns of the altar is the sweet incense. That's a picture of prayer. He's saying that first you've got to have everything covered by the blood. And if God's going to hear your prayer, you've got to have your life covered by the blood. Everything that's unclean has to be cleansed by the blood because without the blood, nothing can be cleansed. So before that he can do anything else for the Lord, he's got to get this right. And the Bible says in verse 12, this is interesting to me, he says that he is to take even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burnt. The whole bullock. Every other sacrifice, God left a portion for the priest. But when the priest sinned, he lost his portion. You ever wonder why you're sitting around and everybody else around you is getting blessed and you're not getting blessed? You lost your portion. You ever wonder why God's hearing other people's prayer but he's not hearing my prayer and he's not doing anything? You lost your portion. God's saying until you get some things right, 
I'm going to withhold my blessings on you and my power on you because here he has to pay the greatest price, a whole bullet for one man's sin. This is the highest price that is paid. Now, why would God require the greatest sacrifice? Even though in other places we'll find out he requires a bullock, but not for one person, not a whole bullock, not all of it. He doesn't require that. Why does God require that for this priest? The reason why is because the priest is responsible for others. And to whom much is given, much is required. God holds us to the standard of our calling and his anointing. He is the anointing priest. Once God has anointed you, God holds you to a higher standard. So now we have the priest. Look in verse 13. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through what? Ignorance because it's a sin offering. And the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty. Verse 14 says they've got to offer a young bullock. It's the same offering, but now it's for the people. So first, if the priests sin unknowingly, out of ignorance, he tells them what to do. Now, if the people sin, do you know it is possible to commit corporate sin? Our nation is committing corporate sin. What do you mean by corporate sin? When everyone goes along with what is wrong. You may not directly be responsible for it, but you go along with it. I mean, let's face it. When you can carry a Koran to school, but you can't carry a Bible to school in this nation, that's wrong. That's wrong. When you don't have the right to pray, I don't care if it is a public school. I'm not saying that you have to stand up and take charge, that you're, you're going to, but if you don't have the right to pray wherever you are, whenever you want to, I think anybody has the right to pray any place, any time. You know why I believe that? Because God's anywhere. And anytime there is a need, we ought to have the right to pray. But for them to come back and say, I know what you can't force people to, you never could force people to pray. That's ridiculous. Nobody can make someone pray, but you ought to have the right to pray wherever you're at. Corporate sin. When we see the church being cut out of our society and the Bible being cut out of our society, the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. That's what the Bible teaches. And when we leave God out of this country, then we're in serious trouble. And we no longer complete ignorance because God says there has to be a sacrifice. And we need to tell this nation it's time for us to repent. If we're going to see revival come, we need to seek God and claim the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse the sins of this nation, to cleanse the sins of a church, to cleanse the sins of a community. He's saying there's some things that people do collectively. They may not have done it themselves, but they went along with it. So we see the priest sinning. We see the people sinning. This is something you find at the end of verse 20. After the, the bullock is offered, it shall be forgiven them. The offering is offered and they get forgiveness. When you go home and read about the priest, 
It doesn't say it shall be forgiven him. Now, now I, don't want to, I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know what he's saying? You don't have the power to forgive your own sin. I can forgive others, but for my wrong, I don't have the power to do it. See, the priest was the, was the communicator between the people and God and God and the people. So the mediator is now at a place where he has sinned. He's not fit to be the mediator. Well, why didn't God mention that? Because for the priest, there's only one mediator that has more power to do it. You can't pronounce forgiveness on yourself. The Lord has to pronounce forgiveness on us. He says then, look in verse 22, when a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord. We not only see when the priest sins and when the people sin, but now we see when political leaders or princes sin, the rulers. The word ruler means prince. The ruler's not, it's not referring to rulers in the house of God. It's talking about kings, chief priests, chief instructors, people that are leaders by choice of the people. When those rulers sin, they need forgiveness. Well, how do they find forgiveness? They have to bring in first, verse 23, a kid, which is a goat. So now we've gone from a bullock for, for a priest to a bullock for a nation to a goat for a politician. No, I'm not going to bash on politicians. Why do they need less? Can I tell you why they need less? Their responsibilities are not just spiritual responsibilities. The priest is held to a higher standard because he's the one that's supposed to be setting the example. And while the rulers are to set an example, they are not the spiritual instruments of God. They are just to be obedient to God like the people are to be obedient to God and the priest is to be obedient to God. But when it comes to spiritual matters, God's saying, even though they've sinned, the sin of the priest is significant in the eyes of God because so many lives can be harmed from it. Now, don't get upset. I've got to quit here in a minute. Don't get upset, but let me put it in words you can understand. If a political leader steals money, he becomes a senator. He gets a higher office. He can still run. She can still run. People overlook, it happens every day. Every day you've got people running for office that if you go back in their life, they, are so, they have been so scandalous and they can go right on. But if a preacher steals money, you're ruined. You're done. Would you help me preach? I mean, you can go on preaching, but you're gonna face some serious consequences is what I'm saying. 
If a political leader, if a prince lies to their people and get caught in the lie, usually nothing happens. But if a priest lies, a spiritual leader lies, lives are damaged. I know I need to move, but I'm on this. I'm stuck on it. I'm sorry. If a prince, a political leader appointed by, if they commit adultery, they're normal. But if a preacher commits adultery, now you can laugh if you want to more than once. I've seen pastors that have committed adultery and people in the church that have been saved for a few years contact me and say, hey, the pastor committed adultery and I was saved under their ministry. And I'd say, yes. Well, well what's that mean concerning my salvation? I said, nothing. Because the priest doesn't have the power to pronounce forgiveness, the Lord forgave you. You're not saved because I'm the preacher in this church. I don't care who comes to preach in this pulpit, you're not saved because of who preaches in this pulpit or who sings on this platform. You're saved because of the power of the, of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God and God's grace that you come clean with God and say I'm guilty and God forgives you. I'm not saying that the preacher can't find forgiveness of that, but they're gonna struggle the rest of their life. I'm not talking that everyone's gonna be perfect and nobody's gonna fail. Don't take it that way. But I am telling you this, for every office holder in this church, hear me what I'm saying, to whom much is given, much is required. I don't hold you to a higher standard, God does. And when you accept a position of responsibility over others, God holds us to that. Amen. I can tell you're blessed to no end. You want me to stop or give you the last? Okay. Well, verse 27. So we've gone from the priest to the people to the political leader. Verse 27, and if any one of the common people sin through ignorance. So now we're down to a person. So what happens if a person sins? Well, I, I found this as a blessing to me and I'll try to wrap this up. Do you know God cares about you as a person? And I wanna show you how much God cares about you as a person. See, God knows no two people in this sanctuary tonight are the same. I venture to say no two people have the same jobs, exactly. You may have the same job title, not the same job. You don't have the same money in your bank account. You don't have the same health. You don't have the same stamina. You don't have the same looks. Somebody shout amen right there. You don't have the same desires. You don't have the same goals. You don't have the same family. On and on I could go. Some people are at different levels of life. So, but here's a person that has sinned through ignorance, but now they recognize that sin. They want forgiveness. That's what this is all about. You gotta recognize it and realize it to get it taken care of. They recognize it. What do they do to find that forgiveness? 
Look in verse 32. They bring a lamb. Hmm. Verse six. The Bible says that they're to bring a lamb or a kid of the goats. If you don't have a lamb, then bring a goat. Verse seven. If you've committed it, bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you don't have, in verse five, in verse, chapter five, verse seven. If you don't have a lamb, in verse six, and a goat, in verse seven, bring two turtle doves. If you don't have two turtle doves, bring two pigeons. Verse 11, but if he be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that hath sinned shall bring for his offering a tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. Hmm. If you don't have a lamb, then bring a goat. If you don't have a goat, then bring a turtle dove, two turtle doves. If you don't have two turtle doves, then bring two young pigeons. If you don't have two young pigeons, bring flour. What's he saying? He took from the wealthiest to the poorest. You're never too wealthy to be saved. You're never too poor to be saved. God didn't just send his son to die for the middle class. I gotta quit, but I feel like preaching now. When they offered the sacrifice for the young Christ child, when they came with Jesus, they offered up turtle doves, pigeons. That tells me his family was poor. Now Jesus didn't need cleanse from sin. He just said that I love the poor. He loves the poor. He loves the rich. He loves the middle class. I'm trying to tell you, I don't care where you're at on the social scale, Jesus loves you tonight. And it doesn't matter. He fits everything for every need. On the day of atonement, when you get to, to number 16, when you start talking about the day of atonement and what happened, they would always, when it was offered up on that day of atonement for the sin of a person, of the people, when that was offered up, they'd bring two goats. And when they bring the goats, one would have to die, but the other was a scapegoat. And the priest would take the living goat. After he'd killed the, the one goat, he would take the living goat and give him to a fit man. And he would take him out to the wilderness and set him free. A picture of one dying for sin. A picture of another carrying the sin away into the wilderness. You say, well, what's that a picture of? The priest is a picture of Jesus. The goat that died is a picture of Jesus. The goat that carried the sins away is a picture of Jesus. The fit man that led the goat to the wilderness is a picture of Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's the only one that can forgive of sin. Thank God there is cleansing. I'm sorry that we sometimes do things ignorantly. It's bad enough sinning, but then to come to the realization that I have sinned and do nothing about it, that's even even worse. Sins of ignorance. Now I realize there's gonna be people that will come for prayer tonight for two reasons. One, God brought to mind something that you should be doing that you're not doing. 
or something that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing. And you need to find forgiveness. Through who? Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then there's gonna be others that you have loved ones that's enveloped in sin that honestly cannot see they are in sin. They're blinded to it. You know what I'd do? I'd come and pray tonight. Lord, let the Holy Spirit open their eyes to see. That's not right. I love them. And I'm not, I'm not the one that grants pardon and forgiveness. But Lord, I care about them. And they would be a better person. They'd be a better Christian. They'd be a better servant. If they would come to the realization that's sin. That's sin. They need forgiveness of that. So I don't know if you're praying for yourself or you're praying for others, but I'll guarantee you there's some people need to pray tonight. You're without excuse. All of us are without excuse.